All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dana Buckler Show. My name is Dana. And I'm Kristen. And we decided to go see a movie. We did, and it was fun. It was very different from your usual movie theater going experience, I think. That it was. You know, you have uh, continuously been able to get me out of my quote unquote comfort zone when it goes to, when it comes to the movie. So out of the bubble, out of the bubble, if you will. And what was interesting about it is we before the movie, we decided to grab something to eat real quick, had a couple beers and we were getting ready to go. And you're like, let's go ahead and just get one more beer. And I'm like, no, can't do it. Can't do it. I can't drink and go to a movie. And you got me another beer anyway. I'm a bad influence. <laughs> so then we get, we walk over to the movie theater and we get in there. Again, I want to stress, like it's, we live in the world now where it's, you pick your own seats and there were no twosies in this theater we we're going and you pick the seats and they were smack dab right in the middle. Already the anxiety started to come over me just a little <laughs> bit and we go to the concession stand and what do I do? I literally ordered another beer. Like I've never drank beer and gone to the movies in my life. So this was a pretty interesting way to start the film. Well, and we were going to see a fun movie. I mean, it's not like we're going to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where I want to really sit there and analyze every little part. This is a fun PG-13, you know, good time kind of movie. Absolutely. Scary stories to tell in the dark. Exactly. And and listeners, you've read the title of this episode. We're talking about scary stories to tell in the dark. Uh, Something that I will openly have openly admitted that was not familiar with the source material. Uh, there seemed to be quite a buzz about this film. Like people, a lot of people online were like, I can't believe they're making this into a movie. This is so fantastic. Whereas you were incredibly familiar with the source material. Oh, yeah. No, I've been excited about this for for a very long time. My sister actually sent me the link to it and said, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is going to be a movie. We read these books growing up as kids all the time. I mean, I have read, I have a, I still have my original copy that is worn and tattered and I have read through every single story in that book countless times. And what was interesting is we were talking on the phone the night before. I kept saying, well, if we're going to go see this movie and we're going to do a quick podcast episode review of the film. I want to go into it as cold as possible. I don't know anything about the source material. I don't know anything about the plot of the film, but you were kind of insistent that you wanted to read a couple of these stories to me and and you read a couple of them to me over the phone. And yeah. it was pretty, it was like, for those who don't know, Kristen, okay, so for those who don't know, what is Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark? What is the book? Like, what is it? Essentially, it is a compilation of campfire stories and urban legends and stories that children are able to read and tell and retell over the years. And it is a book dedicated to really to younger preteens, I guess, children, preteens, I mean, not young children, because some of them are scary. I mean, the title pretty much says it, but the book is designed to have a campfire story feel. And what I found remarkable about you read, I think, three or four stories to me. They're incredibly short. All of them, yes. In some cases, a page long. Uh, But they always have a really kind of unique twist ending to each one of them. And as you were reading them to me, I was sort of saying to myself, how are they going to turn this into a movie? These stories are so short. The fun part about these stories is at the end, because you're reading the book out loud, essentially, based on the way the stories are written. And at the end, it says, now you leap forward towards one of your friends and scare them. You know, and that's fun in the book. And I was curious, too, how I mean... I guess movies do that. They take 
a scenario and they put it into a real life or a on-screen scenario. And how are they going to take this book and do that in a way that's going to have a fluid story? Because each story is individual. There isn't a fluid connection between any of them. And I was wondering how they were going to do that in the movie. I was most excited to see that. Because that was the big thing that I was kind of going into this film going, like you just said, these are individual stories. There's no sort of constant narrative that binds all these stories together. They were just each independent of each other. And maybe you could speak to, do any of the stories ever cross-reference each other? Or are they all just very they, independent? They never do. They're all they're all very independent. I mean, really, they are. You know, there's never, there's never a common thread other than they're scary or they're urban legends. Or you do get the sense that they kind of take place during the same time period, which, again, I grew up, I mean, I grew up in the 80s. And as we have discussed prior to seeing the movie, or af just after the movie, I guess, this movie takes place in 1968. Yeah. And for me, the book is relevant from the 80s. You know, I'm thinking about being in the 80s, growing up reading these stories, but really looking at the stories, they, they are, some of them are timeless, but some of them really do take place in a 60s, 70s kind of era, okay. which is interesting. So I guess the first question I have is for you, and I'll answer that as well. What was your overall take on this movie? You, being someone who was very familiar with the source material, and I do want to point out that a, a couple of the stories that you did read to me were in the movie, which, by the way, incredibly helped my enjoyment of the film. But what was your overall impression of this film? Well, I think that they did a really good job of setting up a time period and a relatable, you know, a bunch of kids in their early teens and setting it in a an era that I wasn't quite expecting. I was more expecting an 80s era, but that's only because that's how I grew up reading these stories and then come to find that the person that actually wrote the stories, of course, he wrote them based on when he was growing up, which was in the late 60s, early 70s. So it makes perfect sense that they would take place during that time. And I would say that they did a great job of representing each story in a way that was a tribute to the story with the drawings. The drawings were a really big part of that book for me. Growing up, reading them was always a joy, but being able to look at those illustrations, it was a beautiful thing. They're very well done. They're all very pencil drawn and almost like a sketch. So I had wondered, how are they going to turn these sketches into a live action character? How are they going to do that? I mean, and I think that they did a very good job representing the sketches and paying a tribute to the original stories in the book. What you said was really interesting about the fact that, you know, when the author, his experiences were, were the 60s and a very tumultuous time. And there are some interesting references about things that are happening in the 1960s in this film. But I also wonder, because I believe you said this book was published in 89. Well, I mean, I have a, I mean, I have a copy right here from when I was growing up. It's from 1989. And, uh, you know, collected from folklore and retold by Alvin Schwartz, who is the writer. And then the drawings are by Stephen Gamble. I'm wondering if the fact that we are in a, a time where we're inundated with so much, quote unquote, 80s nostalgia, things, things like Stranger Things and, and things like that. I wonder if it was just a conscious decision to set this in a period of time that where people when I'm watching the movie, I don't have a reference point for the 1960s. I wasn't around in the 1960s. So I wonder if it was a conscious decision to not try to invoke that nostalgic factor for most people that were watching this movie. Instead, here's here's where we're setting the story. 
we want to make it a little bit uncomfortable for you because it's a, it's a period of time that you're not familiar with. I, I mean, I can't speak if that was what the decision was, but I'm wondering if that was a conscious decision. It may have been, although I don't think after watching the movie, I don't feel that uh, the time frame is all that relevant to what the story was about. It could have very well taken place in any time frame. The fact that they don't have cell phones, I guess, is a thing, but they didn't have them in the 80s either, you know, so unless it's Zach Morris's phone. <laughs> but I don't know that the time frame, I, I like that they set the time frame when they did because that's when the author wrote the book that, or that's when he grew up and collected these stories based on a lot of his personal life experiences, which I would be interested to learn more about that yeah, and what he was going through and why he decided to write this book. To come back to a question that I posed to you earlier as far as what did you think about how they decided to, the plot of this film essentially is about a, a girl, a mysterious girl who died years ago. And if you ask her to tell you a story, the story gets magically written on this old book and it involves one of our characters. And ultimately, for the most part, they end up dying. So this was obviously an original concept. What did you think about the plot device they used to uh, to basically invoke the scary stories that are in this book. I think it was pretty much the perfect formula for a scary movie. I think what they did was they took the actual stories, they incorporated a group of young angsty teenagers, they put them in a situation of, well, it's Halloween night, right? So there's Halloween, there's a haunted house, there's excitement and adventure that these kids are going to go on. And what do they come across? But of course, it's a secret room. And here we are in the plot. So it really drew me in because, well, that's what I want to see when I go to see a scary movie that really sets up a book of stories with an actual book, I think was well done. I think that they they had a really good vision for that, that was able to bring people in to maybe watch it for the very first time, not knowing the book itself, and still have complete excitement and joy of the stories that were being told. Absolutely. So I, I enjoyed it. I think they did a really good job. I can't, I mean, truly, it's it's not a movie I can imagine them doing any differently at this point. Uh, one thing that you and I were talking about before we started recording is, you know, typically when we do something like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or our True Romance episode, you know, we're, we're so familiar with the actors that are in the movie. Like we're so, you know, we talk about Dennis Hopper or Brad Pitt or Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, this movie, with the exception of there were only two faces I recognized in this movie. It's hard for me to talk about each actor because I'm not really familiar with them. No. But what did you think about the the, the cast of this film? Like, I mean, you, you had your stereotypical teenagers. You had the bully, you had the jock, you had the nerd, you had the, you know, you had the prom queen, if you will. Uh, what did you, how did you feel about their dynamic in the movie? I think that these young and up and coming actors and actresses were very well portrayed in the film. I think that they were cast perfectly. It's hard for me to say anything bad about the cast. I think that they all seemed like incredibly, they seemed incredibly talented and like they were very committed to the roles that they were playing. I do want to say one thing about, you know, I had just said, like, I can't imagine this movie could have been done any better. But as I said that, I kind of feel this little bit of regret saying that because when I first sat down in the theater, part of me was really wanting to see something that was more like a Tales from the Crypt or like a creep show. The pages in a comic book were going to turn and I kind of wanted there to be more of a tribute to the book itself. So I know I just kind of jumped around on that, but oh, I wanted to see more of a tribute to the book in the movie. And they didn't really do that other than having this old book that wrote itself, which, you know, I mean, it, yes, it's a book. 
having that little bit of a creep show feel to it would have made it really exciting for me. That would have also paid tribute to the 80s, which is when I think a majority, well, obviously, a majority of the people that have ever read this book grew up in that time frame. If I could go back just to the cast for one second here, I was a little bit surprised to see Dean Norris. For those who don't know, he played Hank, Walter's brother-in-law on, on Breaking Bad. When he first appeared on screen, I think I even looked at you. And by the way, audience, I just want you to know, like, Kristen and I talked a little bit during this movie. Like, I'm breaking every rule that I, I know. Well, we were having beers, Dana. We, yeah. We were actually having a lot of fun watching this. Like, every time something was referenced that I, from a, like the, one of the stories you read to me the night before, I was like, I was like, hey, that's it. And I'm realizing, I'm like, I'm being that guy. I'm being that guy that I don't want to be. But that being said, so when, when, when Hank or Dean Norris comes on screen, I expected him to have a much bigger role. Yeah. Uh, and he's barely in this movie. Yeah, really. He only has like one scene, I not, think. Not really given much to do either, except no. playing the concerned father. Yeah. So, But he plays extremely well. He does. He does. And the only other actor that I recognized was Gil Bellows. And it was one of those ones where I hadn't seen him on screen in a while. And then it finally hit me. And I, I leaned over and I whispered to you. That's Tommy from Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. And he played he played the sheriff. Yes. In the movie. And he was great. He, he was great. There's a there's a and we're gonna talk about some some scenes in the movie here in just a moment, but there's there's a great scene. He's got a great line when when this monster disappears and he's what is something like, You've gotta be shit you know, <laughs> like it's it was pretty pretty effective. But overall, like I, I'm gonna agree with everything you said there. I thought, I thought the cast of characters, the actors all did a, a pretty superb job. So the question I have for you now is, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, the decisions they made as far as how they're going to drive the plot forward with the source material the actors you know we we think we unanimously agree that they all did a very good job in this they movie. did and i want to just i want to say one thing about the the effects and the the costume i guess so maybe they didn't have the biggest budget for their actors but it's a bunch of kids i don't think that they needed a budget for that i think that you can see where the money went to in this film very clearly and that is the way that the monsters the scary parts were represented and the effects and the realism that came about with these characters was when i say characters i mean the monsters the drawings coming to life on screen was done impeccably well Yes, I agree. And so that's going to naturally want to segue into, you know, what did you think about the actual portrayal of the scary stories? What did you think about the the way they actually presented those? Like, for, you know, for those who haven't seen the movie or for those who have seen the movie, I'm talking about like the first story is is Harold about right. the scarecrow. Right. And that was creepy. That was super creepy. And and, and I want to, before I even ask you that, I want to just say like, this is an interesting film because like you said, this is a book for, I wouldn't even call it young adults. Like this is a book for teens, preteens, you know what I'm saying? This movie really skirted that PG-13 rating. Like this was borderline, you know, a couple edits, a couple missed edits and you're going to get an R rating. Like there was some imagery in this movie that I thought was not appropriate. And I mean, I would feel would not be appropriate for the kids that are five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. Oh, gosh, no. You know, but so, 13 and up should probably yeah, be able to handle yeah. it. <laughs> there, there was definitely some creepy imagery in this thing. And this, the first story, Harold, with the guy, with the, jo the jock, who's basically, he's constantly harassing the scarecrow. And then the scarecrow comes to life and, and impales him. Oh, yeah. But it was, was brutal. It was crazy, though, because it, you, he keeps getting all this. Every time he gets impaled, more and more straw comes out of his mouth. Well, that's exactly how it happens in the story. I mean, in the book, that's exactly. And that that story isn't actually in the first scary stories. It's I think it's in the second one. So when I was trying to find it, you know, I'm like, well, that I remember it because I had all of them, you know, growing up. 
when you're growing up and you love something like that, of course, that's what you get for Christmas every year. <laughs> the, sure. The new scary stories to tell in the dark. But they did it very well based on how the story was. I can say that that was probably the best of all the stories that they did that came across the most accurate and the most exciting. Yeah. And the other one I want to talk about is, is it the story just called Big Toe or My Big Toe or Where's My Toe? What What's that one's called? Because that was one of the ones you read to me and that was in there. And that one, if you remember, if you looked at me, I was getting all giddy. I'm like, I know this story. This is one of the ones that you read to me. Yes. No. It, and it's actually the first story in the book, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. And it's called The Big Toe. Yes. And it's weird, you know, they didn't, I was hoping for a little more with that story, because in the story in the book, they do talk about that there's a boy digging in the garden, you know, and he finds this toe growing. And so he jerks it up out of the ground. And it's just, I wish that there was a little bit more of of that part in the movie. They could have done more with somebody outside scampering around in the garden. Like that would have been scary, like motel hell scary. Right. You know, something that's, you know, I, I was really hoping for more garden body parts in this movie. And I'm a little disappointed that I didn't get that. And, and it was interesting because when they're telling these stories, when you're seeing these stories on screen, you're also, there's also the plot of the film that's happening. So when this, when this kid is, he's being harassed by the, the, the entity that wants its big toe back. At the same time, he's, he's communicating with his friends via walkie talkie, you know, so like, they, they obviously took some liberties in how they were presenting these stories. I want to say one thing about the big toe. So in that story, that story in the book, it has a different ending. So there's two endings. The, at the end, you know, you get, you have the end where where's my toe? You've got it. You know, that's, and that we see in the movie. And then in the book, there's another ending when he hears the toe calling and then there's something inside the chimney. So I really like that they paid tribute to not only the big toe story with the head rolling out of the chimney, which they do. And that also is like the me, Ty, Dottie Walker. Like that's a story in this book as well that he is saying, of course, as do the the chimney part. So with the head rolling out the chimney and then the body coming together, like that's a few different stories in one in that particular scene in the movie. Yeah. By the way, kudos again. I want to say kudos. Like the the effects in this film were were, were pretty good. And I don't I know they weren't working with a massive budget. The story that I was the most uh, squeamish about. Oh, the red spot. The yeah. red spot. That's in the second book also. Okay, so the red spot. If you've seen the trailer, it's the one with the the high school prom queen, the cheerleader, and she's she's getting bitten on the face by a spider, and the, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And and I will admit that I just tuned out. Like I was just not looking at the screen. Like it was, it was tough to watch. It was pretty gross. Yeah, it, it really was. It was. It was. They did a good job with it. They did. Uh, I gotta say though, I, I think it's grosser in the book. Yeah. Like I don't know. Maybe. Well, you know, growing up and reading that story, um, it felt grosser reading it in in the book than it did even watching it on screen. I don't know that it'd be possible to top how gross that was. And the drawing in the book is so. Ugh, it's so good. And they did a really good job of building up to that. And this goes back to what I'm saying. Like, these stories really kind of push the envelope for their target audience. They do. No, they do. I think that it was it was definitely uh, darker and scarier than I was expecting. But, you know, I also have to say this, Dana. I There are so many amazing stories in those books. And I can think of a handful right off the top of my head that I think would have translated even better in a movie. There's the one about the white dress, which is creepy. And I guess it's harder to build up to that because, again, a lot of these stories are campfire stories. So you build a background and then you have, you know, a moment of clarity in the story and then there's the finale. So they're very quick. Like you mentioned, they're all about a page, page and a half long. These aren't long stories, but they're like urban legends. And... Even the movie Urban Legends, I think, 
missed the mark on a lot of those urban legends. So I think that this movie did a better job than that movie. Sure. But there are just so many great stories in these books that are just so creepy and good. And I'm excited because I do feel that they left it with every possibility of a sequel. Well, that's and that's the thing I wanted to talk to you about is, you know, if I have some complaints about the movie and I have a I don't even want to say complaints. If I have some positive feedback, if I have some positive or constructive criticism about the movie is I think at one point I looked at you and said, we can go now. Like, we know how this is going to wrap up. I thought the movie was probably about 15 minutes longer than it needed to be. I never leave a sporting event early. Right. And I never leave a movie early. And neither do I. Neither do I. But I think that just speaks to the fact that, like, I knew where we were ultimately going with the end of the story. But I I made you stay till the very end. Yes. And I'm, I'm glad you did. And the movie does leave it wide open for a sequel because ultimately, you know, this our, our main protagonist you know her friend many of her friends have died and and she just kind of has a line where i think we can bring them back well and she is beautiful what a beautiful actress i mean gosh she was just a gorgeous girl this these big blue eyes and these freckles and she was just absolutely darling and lovable and she played that role so perfectly and just as like an innocent loving intelligent young woman and i was very i, I loved that and i loved that that was the the protagonist that was the that was the main character and she did it extremely well oh and i want to mention i love the part in the beginning when they like bullied the bully and that was really funny and she she was a very strong independent young woman which zoe margaret coletti is her name and what a beautiful young actress she was she was excellent i think you know in closing like just to go back to the characters like they're all very affable and very like they were just I say they were stereotypes because they were, but they were all very good at at portraying the, the characters they were. So let me ask you this, Kristen, before we just wrap things up, because this was just a quick little conversation we wanted to have, because we're purposely being vague about a lot of stuff that happens in the movie, because we want people that haven't seen it to, to see this movie. Like we, I it's think, definitely watchable. It's, it's more than watchable. It's yeah. it's really it's fun. Yeah, with our with it using our scale here. Oh yeah. How many hooks do you give this? Five I, being the great white, yeah. one being the worm on the hook. I give it a three. You give it a three. I give it a three as well very watchable movie uh i watched this under very unusual circumstances for me one i never drink when i go to the movies i never sit in the middle and i never talk during the movies and i broke all three of those rules quite a bit that day sometimes it's fun to just have fun you know yeah but i will say this the the best part about the movie was i it really set me up to be excited about a sequel yeah all right. Well, perfect. Well, thanks. Thanks for taking a few minutes to just talk about this movie. I, I, yeah. had, fun. I had fun watching the movie with you. Me it, too. It was always, always a good time. We've planned to see a few movies and, and do a few episodes. So next on our list is It Chapter 2 as far oh, as the gosh, next theatrical yeah. film we're going to no, go see, def- which, by the way, is currently clocking in at a respectable two hours and 45 minutes. Ugh, gosh. <laughs> All right. If you want to follow us on social media. Kristen is on Twitter at Floss Hair. I'm on Twitter at Dana Buckler. The show's on there at Dana Buckler Show. Also on Instagram at the Dana Buckler Show. And also, we have just launched a website, thedanabucklershow.com. Now, I'm pretty excited about this. I have been, what I've been, I've been having fun with this because what I've been doing is I've been creating pages dedicated to the different series that are available on this podcast. So there's a dedicated page for the 20th Century Movie Club, dedicated page for the Movie Theater Rant Stories, by the way, stay tuned, got another one of those coming out quickly, dedicated page for the interviews I do with different filmmakers. And, uh, you know, there's a way for you to contact us and, and we're just having a lot of fun putting this site together. So definitely check it out, the thedanabucklershow.com. So Kristen, looking forward to having you back soon. Yes, sir. All right. It was a pleasure. And uh, my name is Dana Buckler, and thank you so much for listening.